When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense from the Cardinals win uh, just on yesterday, on Sunday. Here to do it with me is Cordell Woodland. Cordell, how you doing? What's going on, Ken? Appreciate you having me, man. Always a pleasure, Cordell. Uh, one of my friends from 105.7 and uh, uh, one of the really good guys to listen to uh, for all Baltimore sports, I'd say, uh, if, if you're following the Orioles or the uh, uh, Ravens. And what have you been spending most of your time on in in recent weeks? I guess since it's the baseball season, we know. But how was your time being split when the Orioles were still alive? Yeah, it was it, – uh... It was split, uh, definitely, especially once the playoffs started. It became, especially that week going into the ALDS, it was about 70-30 Orioles that week uh, for me, which which I didn't mind. You know, it was uh, uh, obviously October baseball in Baltimore. That's I, I could step away from the castle uh, for that. Obviously, it didn't end the way that anybody in Baltimore wanted it to, but um, look, the the Rangers are in the world series right now. The Orioles faced a buzzsaw, I think Mm -hmm. in the LDS and it showed. Um, So now we're, we're, we're all in on the Ravens. All right. All right. Well, me too. Kind of a, uh, what I would call a dominating squeaker, what they, what they pulled out against the Cardinals, certainly score a lot closer than the game would indicate. I thought in a lot of ways, kind of similar to that Tennessee game in London, you know, only ended up being an eight point game, but it was a hell of a lot bigger game than that in terms of the differential of play on the field. Yeah. I mean, uh, just, that's a perfect term to use a dominating squeaker. I think we are used to seeing the Ravens play these close, ugly games where, you know, everybody wants this team to look perfect and I, I get it. They have the talent to look better than they do on a consistent basis. Um, but one thing about it, they, they were in control of that game against the Cardinals all 60 minutes. I thought I, I, I never really felt like the game was in question. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of things that happen in that game that you feel like you would like to see the Ravens do better, especially if they're going to be playing against better teams later in December and January. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and then on the other hand, I look at it and I say, you know what? It's awfully important they got out of this game without any injuries that manifested themselves without a return. So we had Beckham return. We had Oway get hurt, and he returned. Yep. And who was the third? There's another player that that left and returned in this game. Mollette for just one Mollette, play. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and Millette was a big one uh, because I th- I think he's been really good for them in that nickel spot, and I know we'll talk about that later. But, yeah, Harbs talked about that today, you know, just wanting to get out of that game healthy, especially once they realized they were in control and they had a double-digit lead. You know, defensively, they got really vanilla, to use his words. Um, so, and I think it showed we got to see the Cardinals kind of walk up the field a little bit, get what they wanted. But all in all, they were able to get out healthy. And that's that's not something to overlook, not just because of the Ravens history with injuries. But you look at the NFL yesterday, a lot of big time injuries, specifically to quarterbacks. And thankfully, that that's not the Ravens having to deal with that. Yeah. So really only one team that made a big step forward at quarterback yesterday. That's Tennessee with the emergence of Will Levis and now yeah. the possible trade of Ryan Tannehill kind of big benefit for, for Tennessee. What uh, the, the events of yesterday. Indeed, uh, got to see uh, DeAndre Hopkins really show his weight and go. Will Levis getting him the ball. Uh, you get to see Derrick Henry start to heat up a little bit these next these last couple of weeks, especially with the deadline coming up this week. I, I wonder if that had any extra motivation. But yeah, like you said, that's with Will Levis looking as good as he did in that game. Uh, it at least now the Titans feel like they're playing with house money and now they can use Tannehill as an asset. I don't know how much they'll get for him, but something's better than nothing. Yeah, I, I would agree. And they are in a position, I believe, they had about $10 million in cap last I saw to basically purchase a draft pick with their available cap, which usually is a good move if you can make it because teams will overpay for that and they'll really overpay for a quarterback if they need one. All right. Uh, quarterback, the, again, a lot of four-man pass rush in this game. Very little in the way of deception. We'll get into a lot more detail on that a little bit later. But uh, the Ravens lead the, the NFL with 31 sacks. Now Buffalo and Kansas City are three behind. Miami's four behind. Seattle five behind in one less game played. Um, I, I mean, in some sense, we're just riding this wave as long as it'll go. But what are your thoughts on seeing the pass rush perform at such a high level without individual star pass rushers? I feel like that's the system. That's how they operate. I mean, you look at it, this is how they were last year. Everybody had the questions about this pass rush going into the year last year. And the one thing I kept saying was, it's going to be pass rush by committee. It's going to be all hands on deck. And that's what it was. Justin Houston had a great year, more so great three quarters of the season. You know, down the stretch, it kind of changed a little bit. Um, but it was they were still able to get pressure and sacks from all three levels. You're seeing it this year. They're still using Kyle Hamilton as a blitzer. Arthur Millette has been really good blitzing out of the nickel. Patrick Queen still really good blitzing up the middle. And just a matter, BK is just, I mean, obviously he's in a contract year. He's playing out of his mind right now. But some of those pressures from guys like Jadavion Clowney, Adolfe Owe, I know he had this, uh, the would-be sack against the Cardinals that everybody would love to see him finish. Uh, Josh Dobbs looked like he might have lost 20, 25 yards on that play. But I, I just continue to say I think it's this Mike McDonald system that they're in. And that's to me, is why I haven't been – panicking and uh, because the Ravens don't have a J a TJ Watt or Miles Garrett or anything like that of course it'd be great to have a Maserati but they have they're getting production still from all three levels and what I love the most about the what this Ravens defense is doing is the fact that when they do decide to be aggressive and blitz outside of that cover zero blitz against the Steelers which I still don't understand why they ever called that Mm -hmm. um they don't really overexpose themselves. They do a really good job of covering on the back end, even when they're blitzing from the third level. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100% true. And I, th- I think I agree with you. I think that a lot of how this has developed is because they've always got eyes in the backfield and they are such a prevalence of zone defense in what they play. McDonald is basically daring every other team to try and just try and get me out of zone. Just try and prove you can run the ball effectively for any length of time against our nickel because they, they'll they'll play nickel all day and they'll sit with with five defensive backs. and They'll have two of them deep and the, and effectively having this two deep shell has really reduced the responsibilities of the three corners and in particular before the return of Humphrey. And now I think Humphrey and Stevens make a, a fairly formidable outside pairing. But before the before the return of those two, I mean, Darby and Yassin were playing well, and it was largely, I think, a function of the fact that they always had help over the top on a play-by-play basis to, 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 you know, to go to your exposure point. Yeah, uh, totally agree with that. I mean, guys are able to play without having too much on their plate right now. And even the secondary, like you mentioned, had a ton of questions coming into this year. But Brandon Stevens, I think he's playing out of his mind. I went as far on our one and drive podcast with me and Rita yesterday post game. I went as far as to call him the best cover corner they have on the team today. I don't, I'm not going to say overall, maybe obviously Humphrey has the, the, uh, the resume, to be over there. But to this point in the season, I mean, Stevens has been the guy you haven't really seen. Obviously you'd love to see him be better with his ball skills, but the interceptions are starting to come now. Josh Dobbs threw one right at his chest uh, in the game the other day. And if it's not for Geno Stone still in the second, second interception, he'd have two. Uh, so I, I think Stevens is playing at a high level. Darby and Rocky sin a lot's not being asked of them right now, but when they were getting a lot of playing time, they filled in pretty well. Also, I mentioned Arthur Millette. So, yeah, I think those safeties are doing a really good job behind them. Um, and, and them being able to get that pressure with four, it, the, the edge guys are getting back there. And if nothing else, they're getting the quarterback off his spot. Yeah, you mentioned Millette again, and I've, I've got to point this out. The Ravens have six sacks from slot corner now this year because Ar- Darius Washington had one before yeah. he went down. He might have missed one also. He did. And then M- Mallette had two and, and Hamilton three and a half of football at nickel. Um, that's the position where the Ravens have a dominant pass rusher who can get to the quarterback in a hurry because yeah. I, I believe all one, every one of those six were free runs at the quarterback. Hamilton might have had one where he had to beat a running back in a little way and, and, and slip around him. But, uh, you know, that's – you know, when you can't, when you don't have automatic winners, easy winners that way, it's great to have a, a a plan for how you get there. The other thing has been a lot of compound pressure for the Ravens, and they've done a great job um, with deceptive elements that lead to compound pressures like stunts, which lead to you know usually longer time to sack uh, times, but also give good opportunities for the underneath player, and particularly Matabika, I think has benefited a lot from being the under guy on stunts this year. He's got the chops, by the way. He's got all the speed necessary to be the looper, but uh, but he's been really good at being the under when one of those players gets peeled off and then gives him a big advantage um, on a secondary rush to the quarterback at that point. So, uh, just I, I'm 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 so in love with new ways that they find to get to the quarterback yeah. on on this team that I'm I've just been enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, another big point that's come up this week is the Ravens now. Okay, two two ways. First of all, Aaron Schatz comes out, and old Football Outsiders guy now is at FTN. His his uh, Devoa stats have moved to, but the Ravens have the best ever Devoa for a six and two football team in their history of calculating, which is over forty years now, uh, at plus forty one percent or so. But one five and three team, the two thousand one Eagles, 
are ahead of him in, in such a category. And I assume there's seven and one, eight, no teams that have been better as well. Yeah, I mean, look, this the, the proof is in the pudding. You could the eye test will tell you that this has been one of the better defenses in the league to this point. They're not allowing too many touchdowns. They haven't really allowed too many big plays either. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's only a handful, and it may not even be that many this year that they have allowed. That right there, I think, is the biggest difference because you think back to this defense, especially early last year, the big plays were the thing that was killing them. Yeah. That That's what was killing them. And I think the development of Kyle Hamilton – has kind of put a lid on that as the year went on because he was one of those guys that was missing assignments, not necessarily Mm -hmm. sure where to line up, where to go. Um, And as he got more comfortable, the defense, especially the back end of the defense, started to really sustain itself. So I think you're watching a defense now that's keeping everything in front of them. Yesterday I thought was an uncharacteristically poor tackling day for yes. them, especially compared to how they've been to this point in the year. But for the most part this year, they've been really good in open field tackling. Yeah, completely agree. They did have some missed tackles, and it seems to be a, a, a one of Geno Stone's weaknesses. Obviously, terrific ball skills, um, but but he's had some problems tackling this year, and, and he missed one yesterday. It was very notable. Uh, you mentioned Stevens earlier, and Stevens had a very bad blown assignment in this game that was one of Stone's big plays. But the 21-yard play that went up the left sideline to was it? I think it was Wilson. And Stone moved over into position, but he was supposed to be playing deep in the middle of the field, I believe in cover three on that play. If you look at that play, everybody else is playing cover three, and and um, Stevens tracks his guy across the field and man, and he moves right into the zone with Queen, and Queen kind of looked at him funny. Yeah. Uh, So uh, 21-yard play there. I did look on PFF, and they seem to have that scored properly to Stevens on that play, so it's it's good to see that. Uh, But anyway, the, the mistakes have been small enough, and that sounds like more of a communication error than a understanding or processing error on um, the part of Stevens, if I had to guess. Yeah, I mean, blown assignments, are, you know, that, that's going to happen. And I'm sure that's not the first time that they've had blown assignments uh, this year. And they still have kind of been able to keep a lid on those big plays because a lot of teams you have a blown assignment you pay for it, you know, you pay for it on the back end. So definitely credit to Geno Stone and those guys. And I I do think for the most part, Mike McDonald has, and just from talking to the guys on the defense, uh, because I've asked them about all these, especially these veterans who are signed off the street, how they've been able to just kind of come in and they jump right in. And it seems like they fit like a glove. And Everybody says that Mike McDonald makes it easy for them. The, the system is just easy to digest. So, um, and, and guys are clearly covering each other's butts on the back end. I think the safety play so far this year has just honestly been outstanding. Yeah, been, been terrific. You know, being a guy who's at the castle pretty frequently and talking to various players, certainly talking, to, you know, asking a lot of questions at the podium. We hear you all the time on the uh, on the uh, interviews. Um, is there a uh, early on in the McDonald era? I'm talking about the beginning of last year as much as anything. Maybe I heard some of the beginning of this year too, but the beginning of last year is when I really remember it. Is players coming in were saying it's a new system, but what's good about it is that Hamilton is understanding us, making us understand what the big picture is, so that we can understand our assignments within that. Has that been a been a, a common theme this year as well? 
Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, because they look at it from, like you said, they they understand the big picture and everybody understands what they're contributing to that. I think what I what I like most about these guys is everybody's playing their role. You don't have guys that are trying to do too much. And Mike McDonald doesn't ask guys to do too much. I think you think back to the previous defenses, you had guys doing way too many different things, you know, and, and I don't think a lot of those guys – were able to really capitalize on what they excel at. And that's one thing Mike McDonald did mention to me when I asked him a question a couple of weeks ago was that they try to put guys in a position to succeed. And I think you're seeing that with everybody that they brought in. And he does a good job, I think, of instilling his guys with confidence. Look at Geno Stone. Geno Stone last year when he filled in for Marcus Williams, he he didn't seem like the guy that's hunting the big play. He just seemed like the guy that didn't want to be the reason that the defense gave up the big play. You know, he's going to stay in position. He'll try to be there, but he's not being aggressive. Now you watch him. He He's trusting what he's seeing. He's trusting his instincts. He's going and attacking the ball. I think that's a byproduct of obviously a him understanding this defense a lot better, but also I think it comes from coaching and instilling that confidence in him to, Hey, don't be afraid to be a difference maker on this defense and it's showing. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'll add another reason. I think it's assignment based is that, you know, he's played almost 100 percent of his snaps. And it was interesting because because the snap where he got the interception, he actually is playing different than normal. But he's playing almost all his snaps deep in zone, had the luxury of eyes on the quarterback. Any safety mm-hmm. loves that. You know, natural yep. free safety instincts depend on having eyes in the backfield and seeing what the quarterback's doing, trying to figure that out. Started off big with the interception against the Bengals, doing exactly that, looking at the quarterback, not looking at what his other assignment was because he actually missed a cue yeah. that was supposed to mislead him yeah. on that play. <laughs> and and uh, you know, like a like a bad poker player, frankly, and I, I have some experience being a bad poker player. Um, he did he couldn't take the cue that was supposed to mislead him and uh, and bet it anyway and 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 did very well. And and this game, he was up close to the line of scrimmage. He actually had a had a short zone, which is not his normal the yeah. normal place he is on the field, and and you know, followed the coverage and uh, and happened to be exactly in the right place to to take care of that throw that I'm still not sure if it was intended for McBride or Brown on that play. Did you have a good sense of that, by the way? Very bad throw, either way. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Honestly, it was a bad throw. You got two guys in the same area, um, which obviously brings two, at least two defenders Mm -hmm. over there as well. I don't know who that ball was intended for, to be honest with you. It looked like it could have been for Brown. But, yeah, like you said, McBride was over there as well. And McBride was kind of the the guy that was getting most of the targets on a day. So it definitely isn't out of the realm of possibility for it to be to him. But I think ultimately it was just a terrible ball from Josh Dobbs, who who threw quite a few bad balls yesterday. Quite a few bad balls. And and Dobbs, as much as he's a mobile quarterback, all right-handed quarterbacks have trouble rolling left and throwing the ball on the run. And you got to reset your feet somehow unless you're – Mahomes or Jackson, one of the really top guys who can who could turn their upper body mm-hmm. and get it just right, but but he's not one of those, and and no. uh, and that really showed up. Uh, did want to say also with regard to Devoa that the Ravens are now the favorite to win the Super Bowl at nineteen point three percent, which honestly sounds a little too high for me right now. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy with them. I don't think the chance of them winning the Super Bowl is is one in five at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me to say that. To be honest with you, this NFL, and not even just this season, I would say the last couple of seasons, 
as good as the Chiefs have been, and the, the, the Chiefs are the, the mecca right now when it comes to Super Bowls and stuff like that and, and being true uh, contenders. But even them, you look at them throughout the, the teams throughout the regular season the last couple of years, there hasn't been like a team that's a bona fide juggernaut. There's teams that you obviously don't want to see in January, um, but there hasn't been anybody that's like coming out of the regular season is like, oh my goodness, this is just a freight train running through everybody that they're going to play. And I think it's the same way this year. And so I, I'm not ready to say that the Ravens have, you know, have almost a 20% chance to win the Super Bowl. Um, but I would definitely say just looking at the AFC right now and even the NFC, the top of the NFC right now, everybody's beatable. Everybody's beatable right now. And and I said it earlier, the one thing I'm not going to call it a positive, but I guess it could turn out to be a positive down the line is that this Ravens team does play to the level of their competition. I do think that they're going to be a tough out for anybody that they play because this defense is outstanding that's that's the that's been the one consistent thing for them offensively that that's just the one thing you worry about but I, I think when Lamar is faced with some of those uphill challenges like the Chiefs or the Bills or the Bengals I, I if he's out there I, I think he's going to try to play at an all-pro level well that, that's good because certainly the schedule gets a lot tougher the rest yes, of the way they, they have about the second toughest schedule in the NFL Maybe we we turn this, we'll, we'll continue on to the show a little bit and, and just say, is there anything you take from this game, other than maybe the injuries, because I think we talked about that, as a, as a single omen or a single thing that, that is, a, is, a, is a positive or a negative? I will say that yesterday, the, I just thought the, I, I know we're doing mainly defense, um, but just offensively, I thought the offense was really dry yesterday. Um, and everybody was looking for them to look as good as they did against the Lions. You had to know it almost wasn't going to be like that. Even though it's the Cardinals, you you just you just kind of feel it. We 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 understand how the Ravens operate to to this point. They're still chasing consistency, and it's no secret this offense is going to go as this team is going to go as far as Lamar Jackson takes them. And I I just felt like yesterday Lamar was dry. I I I just felt like his energy was low and if his energy is low which it rarely is the offense is going to play that way and I and I I thought it was uh symbolic yesterday in that game Lamar is they're facing a lot of four-man rushes Cardinals are blanket in the field in coverage uh Lamar said it on the podium a lot of long developing routes that they were calling especially in the first half but he just seemed content on patting the ball in the pocket and not really taking off even when he did Lamar's getting, I mean, how often are you seeing Lamar Jackson only pick up a yard or two yards on a scramble? You just don't really see that very often. And that happened quite a bit in the game yesterday. So I would just say that, look, this this offense already is struggling to be a top-notch offense on a week-to-week basis. They can't afford for him to not come out there and play with high energy because at least if he's out there making plays with his leg, extending plays, looking down the field to make something happen, it gives the rest of those guys confidence that they'll at least be able to get out of the rut that they may be playing in. But I I just felt like yesterday just watching him, it just looked like he was going through the motions. And I'm, you know, I'm a Lamar guy. I'm, I'm, I'm never really overly critical of him. I try to keep it on the basis of where it is because I feel like quarterbacks are praised too much in this league and also criticized too much in this league. But I, I energy wise, I just thought that was his worst energy energy game of the year to this point. Huh. Okay. 
well, uh, you know, not as certainly not his greatest game of the year by any stretch. Let's let's move on to the trade deadline is obviously tomorrow at 4 p.m. Right. 4 p.m. I think. Um, and it, do you see anything happening? And do you think Tyus Bowser's situation may even play into that in any way? I know edge is a position. A lot of people would like to see the Ravens pick up. Where are you? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I'd be surprised if the, if there's a move made for the Ravens tomorrow. Um, I saw that, you know, obviously they've been attached to Derrick Henry and a couple of running backs. Saquon looks like the Henry thing isn't going to happen. Um, and it also sounds like the Saquon situation isn't going to happen. Uh, Saquon would be the one that it would entice me the most out of those two, just because obviously he can do a lot more than Derrick Henry. I think he has a higher upside than Derrick Henry. Um, but it's going to cost you a pretty penny, I would imagine, to get Saquon because that's the face of their franchise. The Giants haven't operated like he's the face of their franchise uh, on the business side, but he is. Um, other than that, wide receiver or something offensively, I could see it. I, I could see I could buy somebody's argument um, because obviously Odell hasn't been what maybe mm-hmm. people were hoping for. I'm not going <laughs> to say what they thought, but maybe hoping hoping yeah. for um Bateman I think Bateman I think it, the Ravens would benefit a lot if we got more Bateman and less Odell oh yeah uh, to be honest with you so I, I think Bateman's kind of that you know how they always say when you find uh, uh an extra I don't want to call Bateman a, a hidden gem but when you start tapping into something that you weren't really hitting on in the first half after the deadline it's almost like a, a, a deadline acquisition uh with Bateman so I think his production going forward if it increases, that'll be huge for the offense. But, you know, it, it, I just think they're already struggling to get a third and fourth guy involved that if they were to go out and get somebody else, who's to say that they're going to get the production that they're really looking for? Lamar has shown that it, it, he's not really going to get but so many people involved on a consistent basis. Um, defensively, yeah, a pass rusher would always help. With what's going on now with Kirk Cousins out in Minnesota, maybe the Vikings may be open to trading Daniel Hunter again. Who knows? Brian Burns in that situation out in Carolina. Who knows what happens with that as well? So I don't think they'll swing as big as they did last year to get Roquan at the deadline. If they do make a deal, I really wouldn't be surprised if it's for somebody that wasn't even on any of our radar. Um, but I, I, my bet, I would, I'm kind of to the point to where I'm willing to bet that they don't make any moves. Okay. And I would, I think that's a high possibility as well, too. I think, honestly, the positions they need are either expensive or they're um, not ones that there's an easy target out there. But I mean, to, to, to my money, one of the biggest things they need right now is a backup to play left tackle. And even a backup to play left tackle is very expensive. The Vikings yeah. now have two tackles. Um, one who they're not going to trade in Christian Darasol, but on the other hand, they have, and I'm forgetting his name now, their, their right tackle is somebody who could be traded, who's, who has on a second contract already. And if the Cousins thing, you know, now it appears to be a season-ending injury, I think that's been confirmed. Um, you know, if, if they don't go out and trade for a Tannehill, I think they may as well pack it in for the season. And if they do that, then they may as well trade their right tackle while they're at it. Yeah. But I don't even know if that addresses the, the Ravens need, because the Ravens need a guy who can play left tackle. And yeah. they don't have anyone else on the roster who's um, more than adequate minus at it, and that's McCary. Um, and, 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 you know, Stanley right now is not having a great year 
And no. he had a, he had a, he had a, I, I have yet to look at the offensive line this week, by the way, we do that tonight right after the show, but, but he, even in a, in a pretty good game for the, for the offense overall. And I think a good qualitative game for him last week, he had two holding calls, uh, even though he, he didn't let Lamar get hit in the game. So positive from one standpoint, negative in a different aspect. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It hasn't been a banner year for Ronnie Stanley. Um, and the Ravens have kind of shown their lack of depth when they have had to put McCarry out there or throw Falele out there. And you said it, linemen are, linemen are expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. teams aren't just giving away offensive linemen. If any any lineman that they feel like can play is is comes at a high demand. So, uh, yeah, that's going to cost a pretty penny, maybe more than what the Ravens are willing to give up right now, especially if we're talking about just a depth guy. That may be more than what they're willing to uh, spend at this time. Right. It has to be almost has to be somebody who's really got a lot of warts on him. And and the, the kind of guy was like uh, sharp. He's still in the league after all these years. I mean, that, that guy is not he's not a, a newcomer, even though he's been on the Ravens practice squad for a couple of years. And he doesn't usually end up getting cut. He usually ends up getting plucked. By some other team, yeah. Gregory Sanat has been a typical player. Has been around the league now for a lot of years and played a little bit, but largely as a practice squad guy for for, for his career or a you know a, a a fringe of the roster backup player. But left tackle body tapes. I mean, it is a very limited size and shape pool. All right, let's move on a little bit. Um, had some other things to talk about. Obviously, Geno Stone stepped up again. Very, the Ravens are extremely shorthanded at safety right now. And one of the things that that's not letting them do is move Kyle Hamilton back up to nickel, where I think he'd be terrific. I think, you know, as, as good as Mollett has been, I think Mollett as a backup is a lot stronger there with Hamilton being the starting strong safety. I think you get more out of Hamilton now seeing him in both places. I think you get more out of him at, at nickel. Loved his tackling in this game, by the way. Did a lot of things well to stop big plays, but I think you get a lot more playmaking when he's up front. Oh, without question, he's this, he's still their best nickel corner, and that's what the injury to Marcus Williams takes away. It takes away them being able to go to that big nickel that we saw a lot mm-hmm. uh, at the start of the year, where they where they have the three safeties on the field, and you know, hopefully that the. the Hamilton and Stone continue to stay healthy because they don't have much else to really throw back out there, especially in terms of replicating the production that they're getting from those two guys right now. Um, they they don't have anybody else that can pr- kind of provide that for them. You know, I, I thought that a lot too, Cordell. And then we saw in McDonald within McDonald's defense that Daryl Worley was Darryl extraordinarily was effective there. Year, yeah, and and now they picked up two more guys. Houston Carson, honestly, is more of a strong safety, even though he's played some free safety in a long career at this point. But the other guy they have is Adams, who they just picked up, I believe, last week. Might have been the week before, but whichever week it was, I was kind of surprised that he didn't jump ahead of Houston Carson on the depth chart because he's played more of a free safety role in his career, which fits more being a split safety on the back end which is the Ravens' normal modus operandi. So if you're going to want a guy to play the back end and you want to want to move Hamilton up front again, he's probably your guy, not not Houston Carson. Yeah, I think Houston Carson is definitely more of the special teams uh, type of guy right now. And obviously, if they have to be in a situation where they got to put him back there, we'll, we'll see what he can do. Um, but yeah, Hamilton is he, he's he's the chess piece. He, he's the guy that they want to be able to move really to all three levels of the defense if they could 
Um, and, and that's what I think makes this defense so impressive right now with what they're doing because Harbs did say at the beginning of the year that they wanted Hamilton to be more in that traditional safety role. Mm-hmm. And the, I think health has forced them to kind of stick to that a lot more than they wanted to, because realistically, if he's your best nickel corner, why go away from that if it's working, especially if it's not, you know, uh, hurting you on the back end. So I, I think they'd love to go to put him in a nickel more if they could, but they have to do with it with with what their roster allows them to do right now. So for them to be able to get the production that they're getting with him kind of staying at that safety spot for the most part of the game, it, it, it speaks volumes to what they're getting, not only from Millette, but also from the rest of the guys on the field also. I kind of want to dig a little deeper on this because before the season, my big point about Hamilton was – the most important question to answer for the Ravens defense is how can they make Kyle Hamilton the biggest superstar that he can be? Because all of the other pieces around him, either safety spot, you know, Marcus Williams is going to play no matter what. So it's a, it matters, Geno Stone, really, and how you deploy right. him or or whatever slot corners you had. And the Ravens had a host of them, you know, Ardarius Washington and others who look good at times in, in the preseason. And so the question was, to, to, to me, wasn't um, – how do you let the tail wag the dog by a player like Stone or Washington decide where Hamilton plays? It was where can you be have Hamilton being the biggest superstar? And now we find out, well, maybe Geno Stone is the dog <laughs> and they, they really need to find a place to get him a, into, into a superstar land. And, and Hamilton is completely flexible, can play that nickel position, probably is better there, and you don't lose as much. So it really actually – Geno Stone, for for starters, he will not leave the field again as long as he's a Baltimore Raven. He will play every snap where he's healthy the rest of his career here. However long that, well, okay, obviously he's signed to another contract that might not be true, but but you know for for this year anyway, right. Williams is not going to force him off the field. Williams he may play together with Hamilton and Nickel, but but Williams is not going to force him off the field. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's to the point now you can't take him off the field, and yeah. if you have now two guys on the back end that are both ball hawks because that's Marcus Williams' thing as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Geno has shown himself to be a ball hawk as he leads the NFL in interceptions. And you put Kyle Hamilton in the box closer to the line of scrimmage. He's already a physical specimen. He's got the long arms. He's got the big body. He hits, you know, and I, I just love Hamilton as a coverage guy. And I, I tweeted this. It can't. It shouldn't be overlooked him being able to be as good as he is in coverage with that type of length and not get flagged as much, you know, because in this day and age, DBs really aren't allowed to breathe on receivers. Mm-hmm. And you take away Hamilton's physicality and his and his length, that that's taken away his superpowers. And so for him to be able to play as physical as he does and, and not get flagged and give offense his free first downs. I, I just think that's a huge uh, boost for the defense. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it comes the day after he got an illegal contact penalty, but I'm, right. not, I'm not harping on that. In that nickel spot, um, you know, he has the illegal contact five yards that he can work with extensively. Yeah. And, it, and, and, yeah. and a cover two behind him provides him all kinds of of um say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them 
him to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. coverage you know for any errors he might make at the line of scrimmage letting somebody get away i just think in a short zone hamilton gives you so much in terms of his size and length in terms of being a looming figure that is hard to throw over as well i think that's really misvalued and i think some of the other things about whip routes that that um those slot receivers can run against hamilton you can run them against anyone i mean even even the fastest slot corners don't have the reaction time to stay with a really good whip route so I, I'm yeah. not too concerned about that. Yeah, the whip route has become one of the most unstoppable routes for a wide receiver, especially the, these guys are so quick, you know, changing directions like that, especially if you have a, a accurate quarterback that's going to put it right in front of them. All you, all you can ask for from your defender at that point is to make the tackle right there as he catches the ball, which Hamilton did a really good job of for the most mm-hmm. part yesterday. Yeah, and it, and in general this season, that's general, certainly yeah, been one of his sure. things he's been for good sure. at. So – one thing I'm I'm kind of concerned about seems to be happening every week is the Ravens lose the snap count battle pretty lopsidedly, um, seventy-one to sixty this time, and that's despite a couple turnovers. So you know, obviously, you had some drives shortened. The Ravens got free drives out of that, and then on the other side of the uh, of that, the um, uh, Cardinals did recover an onside kick, which created an extra garbage time drive. It is usually additional plays involved in that as well. The fact that the Ravens were playing soft late obviously impacted this. But the, the place where this is going to hurt the Ravens, I'm afraid, down the stretch is on the defensive line. So the heavily rotated positions where you snap count is really important and you want not only to reduce the percentage of snaps, but the overall number of snaps in order to to uh, keep your linemen fresh. Um, and where a lot of the Ravens value is coming from now in, in Pearson Matabike is in a couple of very overworked players so far this season. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to keep those guys up front fresh. And good thing is they're healthy up front, so they do have a nice, healthy stable of guys that they can rotate in and out. Um, I definitely feel you on the snap count. I think it could go both ways. Uh, part of that is obviously the offense is stalled out throughout the course of games um, all year for the most part. It just they start hot, and as they go on, they get their three and outs or the offense will fizzle out. They, they'll have their turnovers, whatever the case may be. The offense has been inconsistent. That's a big part of that. But on the flip side, the offense have had their moments to where they're uber efficient and they'll have some of these quick drives to where they're scoring on six plays or something like that. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, But defensively, they have – and yesterday they had they they had a, especially on that first drive where they had the two defensive penalties that extend the drive that they had, that, that that should have been ended on a couple of occasions. You mentioned the onside kick as well. Definitely a variety of reasons. 
Um, but I will say we haven't necessarily seen too many times this year to where guys on the front line, on the defensive line at least, have looked overly tired. And some of these guys, like Michael Pierce, has played more snaps in some of these yeah. games than I, than I thought that he should have. So to this point at least, I, I think they've done a good job stamina-wise. I, I, I hear you on that. Matabike uh, uh, got weaker as the season went on last year, and they've yeah, got him at 65.5% of snaps this year. Pierce is at 56.5% of snaps. I, I'm honestly, as well as Michael Pierce is playing, first of all, I'm, I'm now retroactively unhappy that they they cut off a year off his contract uh, this yeah. offseason, which really yeah. just sucks because, man, we, we're going to want this guy next year, and the defensive line is very shorthanded, and you know, uh, it's just unfortunate. But the other thing with Pierce is since he's had a recent significant injury history of – uh, accumulating these things. And thank God we haven't heard anything this year. Um, he He's a guy that you really want to keep his snap count low because effective Michael Pierce snaps are very important. And, uh, you know, getting every chance you can to get um, a Travis Jones in there, you know, to replace him, obviously, at, at the one tech. But you can even get Broderick Washington in there to replace him when you're talking about rushing the passer late in football games like they were here. Um, becomes kind of a, a, a paramount thing. And, and to that end, I'd really like to see the Ravens go out and get a sixth defensive lineman. And and, and Dominican Sue, in a lot of ways, seems like an ideal fit. Um, I, I've got, there is another solution, but I want to get your response to that first. Yeah, I thought I think Dominican Sue, especially getting them halfway through the year. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, that that that'll definitely be good. Um, like I said, my, Michael Pierce, I think, has played in a couple of these games too many snaps for a, a lot of our liking, and he has the injury risk, as we all know. So more is less with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good that they have Broderick Washington. Uh, well, I sh- I'm sorry, less is more. Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> less, is, less is more with Michael Pierce. Um, but they, like you said, they have Broderick Washington, Travis Jones, even Brent Urban as mm-hmm. well uh, that gets thrown in the shuffle. And as we know, they, they can move guys like Clowney and Owe inside and out at times. Um, but I, I, I think Indama Kinsu would would be the guy that, can help them not only in the run game, keep that going, but he's shown in his career, especially in the peak of his career, he could be a big time interior pass rusher. Yeah. And, and, and it might make sense on a team to have six guys right now. You, you mentioned the outside linebacker situation because the Ravens haven't, they had a couple of rush nickel snaps at the beginning of this year. Now, what do I mean by rush nickel? That's when they have three outside linebackers on the field out of their four man defensive front. So kicking a guy inside as, as they talk about it, they kick guys inside to get Matabiki on the edge or even, I think in one case you get Pierce on the edge this yeah. the season, but Matabike on the edge for sure. Um, but anyway, they, they, they've done some of that, but they haven't had a lot of three outside linebacker snaps because they haven't had healthy outside linebackers. And it's the same at the beginning of last year. So a return of Bowser could help them see more of those kick inside outside linebackers, which actually relieves your defensive alignment of snap count. So that's, that's it's a really positive thing if you can get it. Um, unfortunately with Matapike and Pierce being so dominant in terms of what they're offering to the pass rush, pretty much always want Matapike on the field on a passing snap. And now I'm at the point where they pretty much always want Pierce there as well. I mean, you got to, he eats up double teams, uh, at a, at a big time rate. And you were talking about the stunts earlier. I mean, obviously he's great as the looper, Mm -hmm. he could take guys out, but even as the under guy, he got a sack off that as well. Um, yesterday. So I, I think Pierce, Pierce has always been 
a, a big time asset when he's on the field. Nobody can ever say anything about him production wise. It's just a health thing that worries you with him. If he's not on the field, he can't help you. But when he's out there, he's usually really good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, one thing I did want to talk about a little bit in this, I don't know if Harbaugh addressed this in the presser because I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to the p- clips around on Twitter Twitter and whatnot. The Ravens have kept their gambling and games to a minimum. Now, I've got to hit on both sides of this, but then I want to make sure that I hear whatever you have to say from from uh, from his head at the pressure. But they didn't go for it on fourth down this last game, and I don't believe they went for it. Yeah, they went on a fourth and one. They scored the touchdown against the Lions, while the Lions went six times on fourth down. And basically, basic philosophy of finance, business, math, whatever you want to call it, is that um, if you're the if you have an advantage in the game, that you should take fewer large gambles, even ones that have positive expectation, if you can can reduce the range of outcomes. So it's it, it, you know it shows up in things like risk based um, uh, risk based return on assets. It shows up in anytime an individual buys an insurance policy, they're doing it because they want to reduce risk, even though they know it has a negative expectation of value because you always have to pay more than than what you would in terms All of the right. claims. But, you, but this is a game – this is – I think Harbaugh's done a very good job in terms of managing this this year. And the Cardinals, some of the risk is in their control, and they did it – I don't think they made any bad risk decisions. It was just a matter of the Ravens won more of them. So there were two fourth and ones, two two-point conversions, and two onside kicks, all very big high-leverage plays. Uh, none of them bad decisions. But the Ravens just ended up winning four out of those six, which is really nice to win the big pots when you're trying to play small pot poker. Yeah, I mean, you're going up against a team in the Cardinals that is they understand it's a tall task to win that game. I don't have like you said, I don't have an issue with either of the fourth downs that they went for it on. Michael Pierce bats down one of them at the line of scrimmage. Uh, the two point conversions look at that point. They, they got to make it something happen. The onside kicks. They had no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I, and you mentioned the Ravens not necessarily having many gambles on their end uh yesterday they weren't in many positions to where they had to um and maybe they would have if they were but i think harbs has been really balanced so far this year on when to be risky and when not to last year maybe even the year before that seemed like every opportunity that he had to kind of go hard or go home he, he he tried to go big you know and and it didn't always work out for him it always you know everybody's going to point the finger when it doesn't work out i will say though i think they were risky in in a different way uh just looking at it offensively watching them offensively it looked like they were tr- they were going for the blowout especially in the first half hmm. a lot of down the field passes lamar said it long developing routes you listen to mark andrews post game he mentions how he felt like they were going to blow the Cardinals out and it just never happened. And you look at the run to pass ratio in the first half, it just seemed like they were really trying to give the Cardinals that early haymaker to try to put them away early. And it didn't necessarily pan out the way that they wanted to. Now, when they went back to being more balanced and running the ball, that's how they were able to separate. And Lamar said it, you know, that this is a team when they blew out the lions, they did that by being balanced. And so I, I think, that was their risky play in in a sense yesterday and just trying to go for the haymaker early knockout, the first round TKO yesterday. And I don't think it necessarily worked the way that they wanted it to. 
Yeah. So that in, obviously risk by scheme is an, is another way. And that's that plays directly at it because the coaches obviously have input into how to do that. And Harbaugh should be if he's not liking what he's seeing as a game manager from Monken's calls, he should be saying something about that. They took some on field risks that didn't work out. Most I guess most notably, the attempted scoop by Clowney was just a really yeah. bad on field decision. Uh, that <laughs> in terms of game management is just just exceedingly poor. And we've seen good ones on field before this year. The Roquan Smith allowing the guy to get up to get the, to the clock yeah. out of two minutes. Just that's level three thinking. Fine. Level three thinking in terms of you just, just I've never seen a higher level of thought in terms of game management from an on field player action yeah. than that. You see occasionally we'll see a guy, you know, long run and then he'll take a kneel wait out at the end rather than go into the end zone. That's that we've seen occasionally, but that was something really special from Roquan. Yeah. I mean, it's even compared to what you just mentioned about like a ball carrier going down at the one yard line. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like something that that's something that's coached. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's something that is told to them that that what Roquan did. No, that's not in the playbook. You know, (laughs) it's not something that you're radioing into him. Uh, That's just, and, and when you think about how, fast and the NFL game is how fast these plays are going the thought process for him to abandon his natural instinct which is to hit the guy or to tag him before he could get up to to make that quick thought and, uh, and execute it like that 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 is top-notch IQ on Clowney trying to get the scoop and score yeah that that turned out to be a bad decision um it always does when you don't get to scoop it up sure um, but I, I do think a byproduct of that was the offense being kind of stagnant at that point. And when you get to when the, when defenses see that the offense isn't making much happen, happen now you got defensive players trying to make something happen on their end. And I and I think it's also just even the, beyond that. I think it's natural instinct for a guy, especially a defensive lineman or an outside linebacker. They get a chance to where the ball is loose on the ground. And it's deep in the opposing team's territory. They're like, man, I'm about to give me a touchdown today. That that's always going to be the first instinct. But when it doesn't work out, you know, they're going to hear about it. Yeah, it's I I will say, and, and I know you weren't here in Baltimore at least for the early Billick area, though you grew up in the state of Maryland, right? Yeah. Okay. So the it, in the in between 2000 and 2007, when when Billick was the head coach, they obviously didn't have Joe Flacco, and 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 they had an incredible defense. And basically, they preached defensive playmaking. They're like, you you need to play the fast break when when you have a chance for the ball. And I can remember from Haloti Nada's first game is one of the best examples this year. He got a deflection interception dropped right into his hands, and he returned it 60 yards down the left sideline against Tampa Bay in the 2006 opener. And as he's running down the field, you can just see he's got a piano on his back. There's no way he's getting into the end zone. I mean, there's just no way in hell. And so finally, he runs out of bounds without really being touched. He just kind of allowed a body nearby to be directed. And well, Lodi White, not a waste, 345 right. pounds. There's no reason, as a rugby background, he's used to carrying the football. No reason at all why he should have been unhappy. And Billick, 27 to nothing win after the game. And he came as close to lambasting a player as you'll ever hear. The Ravens actually did score three on that drive when he ran out at the nine-yard line, which is which made it extra juicy. But uh, he uh, uh, he said he's got to find a way to get in the end zone there. And it was also a case where he could have just handed the ball to somebody else because they had a lot of laterals they did on defense at that point. It's just it, – anyway, I, I think it's funny now. But obviously in a game you're leading, situation is different. You have Lamar Jackson. Put the ball in his hands. Right. 
All right. All right. Let's keep let's keep the show moving a little bit here. Um packages. I now this used to be a big segment when we had Wink Martindale here because the Ravens had tons of packages they played. The Ravens now are A, a committed nickel team who keeps two linebackers on the field every single down. And B, they don't have outside linebackers healthy enough to have this mix of two, three, and four outside linebacker groupings that they have on the field at different times. So they don't they, they, they don't have any dime defense and they don't have any of these multiple outside linebacker looks, which takes away most of the variation in package. So I, it's almost getting to the point where I should just drop this from my articles and the, and, <laughs> and the regular things we do this, but they played 49 nickel and 21 base. That's all the package differentiation they had. And they've almost had no differentiation the entire year. They had three snaps of dime as well. A few snaps with three outside linebackers, but basically they don't do much, much of any different now. Yeah, Harb said that they went super vanilla at, in, in the second half specifically, and, and it definitely showed. I'm, I'm still going through the process of re-watching the film. I actually still have it up on my TV. Um, but from what I've seen, it, it supports the numbers that you just read off. It's pretty much the same defensive personnel, same defensive packages on the field the entire time. But they do such a good job of giving you a bunch of different looks while still giving you the same look, if that makes sense. Um, you never really – Mike McDonald, I think I had asked him about a week or two ago about them getting pressure uh, from on quarterbacks despite not necessarily having that guy um, that can go and get them 10-plus sacks a year. And he just talked about how they – how offenses force defenses to cover every blade of grass. That's what he wants to do from the defensive standpoint. And you never really know where the blitz is coming. We talked about the nickel blitzes and, mm-hmm. and, and how effective that has been so far this year. And they're, they're able to still come out in the same personnel packages, but you don't know where the pressure is coming from. Yeah. You know, queen is a good blitzer, but he may line up and then back out. And here comes Millette on the other side. And you said it earlier, they, these nickel blitzes have been – these guys are coming in unblocked. Kyle Hamilton, all three of his mm-hmm. sacks that he got in the first half against the Colts, he was untouched mm-hmm. in all of those. So they are just doing a really good job of, I think, playing with the eyes of opposing offenses, of giving the illusion that not much is changing from play to play, but really it's, it is it is something different all the time. Yeah, I, I I agree that it's something different, and I, I gotta say this is one of the great defensive coordinator years in Ravens history. Eighteen was a great year because, uh, and and nineteen, sorry, nineteen really more than eighteen, where they rebuilt the defense on the fly during the year. They you know they no confidence votes in their inside linebackers. They had to get them replaced on the fly, and Fortin Bynes came in, and you had couple new nose tackles came in and then the big acquisition was Marcus Peters, but they rebuilt that defense on the fly during the year, which is almost impossible to do this year. They're without their biggest and most flexible piece in terms of the pass rush. And that's Tyus Bowser who can both drop to cover and still provide you with a good pressure rate when he's in there rushing off the edge. Tyus Bowser 32% drops to cover um, in his NFL career. And by comparison, Clowney, who's not really an outside linebacker, he's really been a 4-3 edge most of his career, has 3% drops to cover in his career. So big difference there. And and, and I, I, it, to me, McDonald has just been a genius at figuring how to get it done. It's nice to have Queen and Roquan, but he's been a genius in terms of figuring out how to get it done with slot corner and inside linebacker primarily as other blitz pieces. Totally. And I, and I also think that 
uh, Malik Harrison has done a, a, a fairly decent job on the outside. It was a big time struggle for him last year. It hasn't all been rosy for him even mm-hmm. out there this year either. I don't want to say he's been perfect, but he, I, I think he has done a, a, a decent job at helping stabilize the loss of Tyus Bowser to this point because really it's a scramble. Like you said, Bowser does both things well, coverage and uh, rushing the passer. So they've kind of just had to plug and play to fill that huge void that he's left. Yeah, and they really needed that early down um, run-stopping edge. I think Harrison has reshaped his body this year. He yeah. lists now at 259 pounds. Uh, it's a much bigger frame than he had in college or coming in as a, as an inside linebacker. And now he's shifted to being 100% outside linebacker when he's on the field. Um, more of an Albert McClellan type, I think. And and I mean, what do you think about his chance? And obviously he's a fourth-year player right now, so he, he could be gone next year. He'll be a UFA. But what do you think about his chance – to stick with the Ravens as a survivor on maybe a, a series of two-year deals? Or do you think there's a market out there for Malik Harrison? I don't I, – I, honestly, I wouldn't imagine there's a major market for him. I mean, he's a really good special teamer. That's that's on tape uh, for sure. Um, but in terms of him being out there on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think he has a lot of great tape that he could put together that is going to demand a, a, a market to where the Ravens don't feel like they could throw their name in the hat. I think – comfortability here with the Ravens. Obviously the team that drafted him, the team that he's been with to this point in the career would be a benefit for him. Um, and they are starting to expand on what they're asking him to do right now. Albeit it's because of injuries, but Hey, look, it's no secret. Bowser's gone after this year. So they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do at that outside linebacker spot after this year, he could be the band aid going forward until they find somebody else that they really like to kind of stabilize that position. But I would imagine he wouldn't break the bank and they're in the Lamar era of the contract. So Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson's contract era. So um, they're looking for cheap labor all over the place. Malik Harrison, really good special teamer, which of course they love, but like you said, he's changed his body. I do think he has been better on the outside this year compared to last year. So I, I, I definitely think it's in the realm of possibility that he could be back. All right. Looking forward to that is obviously the Ravens have an enormous number of UFAs. And one of the reasons why I'm I, not only do I not think there's a really exciting player out there who puts the Ravens over the top necessarily. And it's a pretty complete team. I'm also just the, the draft capital. They've got to protect that like Fort Knox because they need everybody. They, they're going to need every one of those draft picks to replace all the UFAs they're yep. losing this year. Yeah. All right, let's see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the pass rush here. i got a few numbers for you here to go through. Very modest numbers. I mean, you talked about the vanilla, and I'm going to give you some measures of that um, in, in terms of what. But let's, let's start off with ample time and space, ball out quick, and pressure, which are three ways that I separate the, uh, uh, the, the opportunities for the quarterback. And they didn't have as much pressure this, this week. So uh, ATS on 11 of 39 dropbacks, that's 28%. Uh, those are 11 plays where where Dobbs went six of 11 for 50 yards. And by the way, 50 yards on 11 plays, 4.6 yards per pass is absolutely awful for ample time and space. You should be about 10 yards of throw on on uh, on those sorts of opportunities, or 10 yards, not even per throw per play. Uh, and he also had an interception among those, so that's that's quite bad. Uh, I'll go through the, the the three of these and then we'll get some comment on this. He delivered the ball before pressure could develop, and that means there's you know obviously the ball's out quick. Usually the outside screen, jet pitch, whatever it might be, a little slant play where there's no no time for uh, pressure to develop. Fourteen times so that was thirty six percent, four point nine yards per play on those. 
Um, that again is a little low. I mean, no, there's normally that would be maybe around five and a half to six yards, I would say. And the Ravens generated pressure event on 14 plays. That was also 36%, two sacks and one interception included in those. But Dobbs, who deals very well with pressure, and I think this is one of the common themes we're going to see in the pass rush, went eight of 12 for 75 yards, so 5.4 yards per play on those pressure plays. That is outstanding. Uh, now, Jackson last week, by the way, 22.4 yards yeah. per play on his pressure. Yeah, Lamar, I mean, he was fantastic last week against the pressure, and that's has been his Achilles heel throughout his career, yep. kind of. You know, uh, teams are figuring out that they could blitz Lamar and kind of get him rattled a little bit. In terms of Dobbs, I, I think Dobbs, he it's just not a lot of talent over there in Arizona, and, you know, he's a true backup quarterback in the grand scheme of things. Um, so some of the things that he did in that game were self-inflicted. Like you said, he's, he's got mm-hmm. he's got time in the game, but he also doesn't have world beaters out there. Receiver Marquise Brown is obviously having a pretty decent year, uh, a pretty good year, honestly, considering his quarterback situation. I think he's having a pretty good year out there. Um, but outside of that, there's no Zachers. There's not much that scares you. Rondell Moore isn't really much more than a gadget guy in that offense, it seems like. Um, so, yeah, not a lot of production down the field. And I think the Ravens knew that. I, I just think that their philosophy going into the game was just let's not do anything that's going to open the door for this team that can't make big play, can't get big plays. Let's not give them the opportunities yeah. to get those big plays. And I, and I think they were fully content on letting Dobbs hit on some of those short passes, getting hit guys in space because for the most part this year, they've been really good at tackling in space. Yeah, it was, it was addressed by Harbaugh. And honestly, most things, I think there'd be a good podcast to make if they wouldn't get the Ravens angry, frankly, to do this on reading between the lines and just going going through the various play, the people that hit the podium for the Ravens and talking about what they really mean with the things. And Harbaugh would be the most interesting because he's a he's kind of a disinformation user. Uh-huh. And and he definitely says things he doesn't mean. And then he says other things where it's clearly coach speak. And all you'd have to do is follow it and and know his usual tropes and yeah. and he's and, and you've got his coach speak. And then there's other times when he clearly really believes what he's saying and he'll go to an extent to talk about it where you use alliteration or he'll he'll have something prepared that's some fancy three-word phrase for something and you realize, oh no, nah, he really means that. Yeah. When he was talking about not losing the game. There's no doubt about it in that interview today. He really meant it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it backed up exactly what we saw. Yeah. It backed up exactly what we saw. It was a defense that wasn't expo- overexposing themselves, weren't, weren't trying to do too much. I mean, he used the word vanilla, and that's exactly mm-hmm. the word that I would use to describe the defense yesterday. Yeah. All right. Let's toss out a little more pass rush numbers while we're at it. Now, this is really, really vanilla. The Ravens never rushed three in the game, and they don't always rush three in a game, but they also never rushed six plus in the game. So four times, sorry, 33 plays, they rushed four, and six times they rushed five out of the 39 times that, that it ended in a in a passer sack that excludes scrambles. Um, and they allowed 4.9 yards per play when they rushed four and 3.3 when they rushed five. It's just I'm reminded from, of, a, of a line from the Blues Brothers where the waitress, they ask him, what, what sort of music do you usually have there? And, you know, they're going in to play at this band, as a band at this at this country stadium. And she says, we have both kinds here, country and Western. <laughs> <laughs> everything you want. every Everything you want. Yeah, I mean, the the blitzes yesterday, the, the, the pressure rates 
Um, I, I think that they were more so hoping that Dobbs would kind of get himself into trouble. Um, mm-hmm. I think they wanted to stay true to their rush lanes, and they did have guys getting pressure. We mentioned that Owe would be sacked earlier. Uh, Matt Abike, uh, P- Michael Pierce had the one mm-hmm. drive where he just completely dominated in both the run game and uh, the pass rushing. Um, but I, I just think that, especially against that offensive line, which isn't good, and it showed yesterday for the Cardinals, that offensive line isn't really that good. Um, I think they felt like they could get there with four. And even if they didn't get there, I just don't think that they were afraid of Dobbs's arm. I just don't think that they were afraid of that Cardinals offense. Without trying to disrespect the Cardinals, I just think that that's how the Ravens approached it. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think also they kind of tipped their hat to Dobbs on not bringing a lot of blitzes, which I'll get to yeah. in a moment, is that, is that um, Dobbs is a pretty good hot reader among his other abilities. You know, one you know that's a little bit better than the others is that, that he actually understands that this was true in in when he played at Pittsburgh. Um, you know, reading hot was something he was better at than other things that he did. So uh, that I think that might explain some of why he's he's been a better pressure quarterback, including this year. And even to your point, I, I would say, yeah, like they see that he's good against pressure, so they don't want to try to help him out, but also. Okay, we'll sit back and we'll we'll keep eight mm-hmm. in the in the, in the in coverage because it's not like anybody's going to you know who at receiver are we really that afraid of anyway? So it, you really don't lose anything. They're out there with the backup running back, and I thought Demarcado ran the ball really well to start mm-hmm. the game, but as the game went on, they kind of put a lid on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, c- I completely agree on that as well. Uh, real quickly, blitzes. They only used five individual blitzes from off ball during the game. Now, that's not the five-plus definition other people use. These are people coming from either at least a yard and a half off the line of scrimmage, usually from linebacker or from slot corner or further out. So you only had five of those the whole game. It's .13 per pass play. All five of those were in the first half. Completely shut it down in the second half. Did not blitz a single time from off ball. Um, doesn't even matter, but the game 23 yards on those five plays, 4.6 yards per play. So not even, you know, big deal either way. They stunted 10 times in this game spread among nine plays. And that was the primary element of deception they used. And it's been the primary now the last couple of weeks where they seem to be trying to get opportunities for the underneath player, oftentimes Matabike by having a looper peel a blocker off and give a better avenue to the quarterback for that underneath guy. Yeah, and Pierce is the Pierce and Broderick Washington, Travis Jones, and Brent Urban. Those are perfect guys to run stunts with. I mean, these are big body, strong guys that can take up multiple blockers. They can completely wash out the hole to open it up for a guy like Matt Abike. We've seen Clowney involved in a couple of these stunts as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that has been they've, – they've really run the stunts really good so far this year. The Ravens defensive line, it shows in Matt Abike's sack numbers. It shows in some of the pressure rates that they've been able to get to this point as well. Outstanding. So, uh, and they did not use a single instance of simulated pressure the entire game. And I'm defining that as two guys dropping the line of scrimmage because it's very common to have your edge guy, like uh, Harrison, for example, drop from the line of scrimmage on a, what I call a 4 1 blitz, four guys coming with five guys initially at the line of scrimmage, and he drops to cover, say, a, a tight end that's in line. But uh, and 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 very you know frequently they had one guy one inside linebacker standing up in the a gap who dropped a cover but they what they really did not do is they never dropped two from the line of scrimmage and that is just so exceptionally rare 
that the Ravens do that. Another tip of the hat, I think, to Dobbs in this case, that he was not going to be fooled by the pressure. I mean, the offensive line might have been, but that Dobbs was going to be able to read that hot and try and figure out how to go to, who to go to. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to give them opportunities to try to pick up, to, to nickel and dime you, um, especially yesterday was kind of a poor tackling day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is good that they weren't able to kind of hit on some of those short, quick throws and turn some of those four-yard catches into eight, nine-yard plays uh, because those could end up being backbreakers, especially late in the game where you're trying to put a team away. And we've seen teams sustain drives that way a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- this is just a defense that can beat you in a multitude of different ways. And I think it's only a it's the, the Cardinals don't have many ways that they can beat you right now. So I, I just think it everything pointed to the Ravens playing it as safe as they did. Yep. Yep. All right. Always great to talk football with you, Cordell. Want to make sure uh, folks want to know where they can talk football with you online or or where you're where to find you on the show or your podcast. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me, Ken, as always. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at Cordell Woodland, just as it sounds. Um, catch my show, Shaking It Up Sports, on 105.7 The Fan on evenings, uh, usually Tuesdays and Thursdays right now. But that could change depending on what we have going on on air that day. Uh, also, the Win and Drive podcast with me and Rita Hubbard drops every uh, Tuesday and Thursday. Sometimes we do Wednesdays and Fridays as well. We also do a post game episode after every Ravens game, anywhere you get your podcast from. So yeah, you could catch me anytime you're listening to something Ravens wise. You never know. I might be talking it right there with. You. All right. Outstanding. Always great to have an insider join the show and tell us a little bit about what's going on at the, uh, at the castle. We appreciate the, the uh, different perspectives all our guests bring other folks out there looking to talk to you as well. If you want to do a film study short with me, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll promise to get back to you very quickly, and we'll talk about uh, how your idea might make a good show. The best advice I can give you is try to keep the topic relatively small, kind of like a silo. Like, you know, I think the Ravens should go after Derrick Henry because of A and B and C kind of thing is a good topic. Um, I think the Ravens need to reconsider how they value some position is a good topic. But I think the Ravens need to completely restructure their team by doing these 11 things is probably not good. It's probably, it's probably too much for one episode. So we'll, we'll uh, uh, I'll get back to you anyway. We'll try and we'll try and come up with a, with a short topic that we can do in about 20 minutes and, uh, and meet some new people who want to talk football. Cordell, thanks a lot for coming on. Ken, appreciate you having me. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.